Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, we have a, uh, a decent amount of listener questions here to jump into. Look forward to doing this. It's been a while since we've been able to uh, open up the questions, but hasn't exactly been lacking content over the past couple of weeks. So uh, we'll jump into them. Tip of the hat to Louisiana Hot Sauce. Big thank you to our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group. And as always, anybody uh, is strongly encouraged to at least give the people at Legendary Home Loans a chance, have a talk with them. Uh, we're confident you'll have a great experience as almost any of our listeners have. And uh, uh, one more solid acknowledgement and shout out to our patrons who have both made this episode possible and have provided many of the questions with which we are about to jump into. So with that, bud, Let's go back and forth, have an open conversation here. Look forward to uh, what lies in front of us. Yeah, man. So a lot to talk about tonight. We'll go ahead and kick it off. Uh, I think all, are we 100% Patreon questions tonight? Probably, I think so. So uh, the first one comes to us. uh, Can you discuss Malik McLean? And we were going to put this in the last episode, but we had a Patreon question about it. So we'll just talk about it here. Uh, Yeah, I can actually. Florida State received a commitment over the weekend from Malik McLean. And Ingram, get this. We'll get into his vitals here in a second, but this is a prospect that 24-7 sports is higher on uh, than the composite score is for a Florida State commit. There's not that many of those uh, this year, uh, and and he is certainly one of them. Luckily, I'm in a position to talk about this kid because I've seen him a pretty good bit up close and personal. So uh, Malik McLean is a receiver prospect out of IMG Academy. He is from Mobile, so he played for uh, Mobile area played for Daphne High School before he transferred to IMG. Uh, he really kind of first got on my radar when he got to IMG, uh, and he was actually at one of the camps uh, that I attended this summer, or, well, spring, rather, uh, before the COVID-related shutdown came into effect. So Malik Klain, six foot four, listed 195. Uh, I'm here to tell you that he looks a lot bigger than this. In fact, uh, when Andrew Ivins uh, and, and myself when we saw him, uh, he actually looks like a guy. I mean, he could grow into sort of a, a flex almost. He's a little bit of, of a of a strider in that I think he's faster than he is quick. Uh, extends his arms away from his body very well. Catches it. It physically like this is one of the guys you want getting off the bus. He looks very impressive physically. Route running. We'll see. Kind of needs to be developed. Right now, he's pretty much winning with speed and and size and, and, and length. Dude, he's. I, I think he's a, a very nice pickup for this Florida State recruiting class, which now sits uh, inside the top twenty-five. So they, they broke it in to the top twenty-five. I. He was one of the better pass catchers there that day at the Under Armour camp in Orlando that we went to uh, you know, shortly before the shutdown occurred. Um, I'm just interested in seeing how big he can get. I mean, if he stays at receiver, maybe he gets to be 220. If he moves tight, like, I don't want to say moves tight, but, but if he ends up being more of a flex type guy, maybe he's in that 230, 235 range. He's difficult to tackle, though. I, I will say that. I mean, he, he's, he doesn't have a ton of wiggle, but he can certainly run through arm tackles. I, I think he's a guy that has a lot of upside. So this is a very, very nice one for Florida State. Yeah, I, I think this is a big deal. I mean, I, I think this is something in two or three years we may look back on uh, and and think that this is quite the recruiting coup. Uh, I think here you got low low floor, massive ceiling. Uh, I think the sky's the limit with McLean. I agree with you, man. If this kid's under 200 pounds, 
sure as hell doesn't look like it, you know, via via the photos that uh, that are out there. I think what you said about a lot of different ways that this guy could ultimately be used and what he could ultimately grow into. Uh, big time athlete, real good get. I don't, you know, I don't think there was a formal offer from Alabama, but certainly legitimate interest there. Uh, so I think this is a, a nice win, and we'll see what ultimately comes of it. But the kid's got all the potential in the world. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, other offers. Now he lists the Alabama offer. Was that committable at, at the time? You know, not entirely sure. Arkansas, Kentucky, Miami, Maryland, Penn State, A and M. So uh, some legitimate Power Five schools that you beat him out for. Uh, and and I, I do think, by the way, with so with, with Burrell, you have a guy who we profile. We, we think his speed is is not. Not all that great, but he does a lot of other things. That, that's that's Josh Braille, uh, the, the other receiver commit in the class right now for, for those of y'all who are not following the recruiting super hard during the pandemic. And I, I certainly <laughs> certainly can understand that. Braille is is more of a floor guy, I think. And McLean to me is is more of a ceiling dude. So a nice compliment there for Florida State. So that, that's uh yeah, man. Kind of a kind of a little fun segment there to open up. Uh, with and so let's get to question two, and I'll, I'll throw this one to you. This is from JJ. He, sa- he asks, uh, with the Florida game being canceled this year, is it an option that next year's game could be at a neutral site, maybe Jacksonville? I guess anything's possible, and I can certainly see where it's going to be an awkward situation where one team either gives up a home game or another team looks at not having you know a, a, a UF Florida State game on their campus for two years in a row. I don't see where any team would or where any school would allow this to go off campus absent some major check. And with all due respect from the Jacksonville uh, sports group, I don't know that that's necessarily around the corner. So I would have a, I see where you're coming, JJ. Uh, I, I don't see a real path where you would see this game being put on a neutral site and Florida state's <laughs> has already farmed out so many neutral site games over the last five to 10 years that, uh, they're going to have some real questions to answer if they, you go and, and give away a UF game. Now, I know that's not, you know, it's kind of an odd time right after Thanksgiving. It's not like having Notre Dame come to town in October or something like that, but that's still a, a massive game that would be real hard to look at uh, local decision makers and tell them that you decided to put it elsewhere. I, I think I agree with that. That, that, that answer makes, uh, makes the most sense. So let's jump back into recruiting here real quickly. And Christian asks us uh, to play a friendly game of buy or sell. Buy, buy or sell, by the way, if you are new to the show, is, is a game that we sometimes play and uh, often brought to you by Legendary Home Loans since they are the ones you turn to when you are looking to buy a home. So let's play a little buy or sell here. And Christian wants to know, uh, would you go buy or sell on these prospects? Uh, he has a list of recruits here. And maybe add some thoughts or uh, you know, remove any names that you don't see fit. Uh, to make the segment better, so we will uh, we will do that. Uh, we'll kick it off here. Uh, Amarius Mims is the first on his list, and of course he is. He's the first on my list as well. Uh, but I'm going to hit that with a pretty hard sell. Uh, I think Florida State might get like the courtesy cachet visit if official visits ever open up again. Uh, simply, which is cool. Like Alex Atkins, uh, the offensive line coach, can say, "Hey, we, we got a Mims to visit." Other kids can see that he visited. He's showing interest in the Knowles. Realistically, we know that Florida State's chance of signing Mims is like 0.0, in in my opinion. So that one's a pretty hard sell uh, for me as well at this point. 
Yeah, no reason to to waste time. I think Florida State's done well. I think ultimately they'll come in third. There's a lot of positive things to be excited about the offensive line recruiting and, and what you think you have in Atkins with a recruiter. I just don't think Mims is necessarily going to be the prospect to, to have some of that excitement come to, you know, be able to be confirmed. I'll put it that way. All right. Uh, who's next on our list? So River Helms is the next prospect. Helms is a uh, tight end prospect out of Alabama that we have uh, talked about a couple times on the podcast, I believe, but it's been maybe a month or two. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. Kind of a kind of a kid that flew under the radar, if I remember correctly. I think you had a coach or two talk to you about uh, the prospect, and then ultimately Florida State was one of the first to offer. And of course, Florida State already has another tight end from Alabama in Jackson West, who, who I, I know personally that they think is a, a very good prospect and, and probably a little bit underrated by some of the services. So they're, they're higher on him uh, than some others are, certainly. With River Helms, I, I do think that Florida State wants to take multiple tight ends in this class. So we know what their their feeling is about the current tight end room. I, I'm not totally convinced that Helms is the guy, but I, I will give a uh, I'll give a reluctant buy here, uh, just because I, I'm not really seeing another tight end option who they're in on right now. You know, so a buy sort of a, as, as a placeholder. Yeah, I'll buy um, here. I don't see a school necessarily that's going to beat Florida State out if the current list of suitors holds. Uh, obviously, that could change. But uh, I think if Florida State really wants Helms and continues to recruit him, that oddly enough, they'll sign uh, two kids that are slightly under the radar from the state of Alabama, and those will be the tight ends that they work with moving forward. All right. So uh, next on this list, big offensive tackle from Alabama, Rod Orr. Uh, Rod Orr, who's a uh, Priority target for uh, Florida State, obviously. Tennessee is is also involved. Um, Ole Miss, Missouri. Uh, trying to think what the other school that rounded out his top five. Of course, we've spoken about this before with Auburn lurking. If Auburn decides that they want to pull the trigger on an offer, that might just be uh, a complete wrap on that situation. But so we'll have to see if Auburn does do that. I'll I'll let you go first on this one. You're you going to buy or sell Rod Orr? Well, um, man, I said a couple of months ago, it's strange how, how ultimately when I look back on the success of this class, at least at this point in time, to me, it'll be dictated by whether or not Florida State signs a rod of war. I mean, whether or not they go out and sign a legitimate bona fide tackle. At this point, uh, I'll sell against the field. I mean, I, I think Tennessee's a player. I think if Auburn gets involved, that you know, you've said this before, it, it'll ultimately be a wrap. I do think every day that Auburn doesn't get involved in that message that, hey, we've been here, we've been convinced of you, we've been with you since, you know, since Jump Street, that becomes a little bit stronger. You know, they're, they're, uh, there's not a defined date on the calendar, but ultimately a prospect starts to listen to that. And if you've got an aggressive recruiter like Atkins who can sell you on the fact that he didn't need to see more tape, he didn't need to do anything else, he wanted to work with you. He wanted to be the piece. He wanted you to be the piece that he kind of built this transformation around. Hey, look, if we get into the middle of September and Auburn has an offered Rod Orr, I would flip this to uh, I'll take Florida State over the field. I'm going to go and, and join you here on on the sell. Uh, so certainly not uh, not what the listeners w- want to hear. I I know there are questions about uh, you know academics here. And that, that might be holding Auburn back from, from an offer. Uh, we, we've seen that reported in some places that, that some schools have some questions about the transcript uh, and, and wondering, like, you know, his viability. 
on that front. It's sort of a situation where it's almost in my mind, if he is going to be greenlit to go, then Auburn will probably offer. If not, then then maybe not. So I will go ahead and uh, and, and give a sell on that one. We'll take a couple more of these. Uh, next one he has is uh, Destin Payson. Destin, obviously the receiver out of New Orleans, uh, FSU's top receiver target on the board from what we understand, or at least top realistic one. Florida State has done a good job recruiting him. He is a pretty dynamic playmaker who also is uh, is very polished and extremely productive at the high school level, and uh, they would be absolutely thrilled uh, to get Payson. I'll lead it off, man. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go with a buy here. I, I, I will buy Destin Payson being in the class to complete their, their three-man receiver class along with uh, Burrell and McLean. I, I think uh, the, the relationship that David Johnson has fostered with him is uh, it's, it's a good one. He knows what Mike, Mike Norvell's offense wants to do with playmakers. They have done a good job of showing him what the fit would be like. I think he was one of the kids, if I recall, who actually got in and visited before the shutdown, which is really huge when you're recruiting a kid out of Louisiana. And importantly, I don't think he uh, is a take for LSU or Bama, which are generally the schools you have to worry about when you're recruiting in the state of Louisiana because you're just not going to beat those guys for kids uh, very often. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and give me a buy there on, uh, on Payson. Yeah, I'll buy as well. I think this is, uh, you know, the the third addition to Dugan's recruiting class. Great blend of prospects with the the kid that we just talked about at IMG uh, with, you know, massive floor, uh, excuse me, massive ceiling and a, and a pretty significant uh, lower floor to work with. You get the kid out of Carolina who you know what he is, so you can feel real confident. Uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to label him as a possession guy, but a guy who's going to make uh, tough catches, move chains, and then this is kind of your your yard after the catch guy for coach coach yak himself. Uh, I think this is a, a real playmaker. We can laugh about being built for playmakers, but I think Florida state has sold him on that, sold him on the idea of the legit ability to catch passes almost from, from day one. And uh, yeah, I think this kid as of right now will be in the class. All right. Got another one for you here. Kid who's already committed quarterback, Luke Altmeyer. You buying or selling that he's going to stick with Florida state. Uh, I will buy Altmeyer sticks with Florida State at this point in time. Yeah, I will. Uh, we've talked about the prospect that Bama signed last year. Uh, I think Florida State's done a good job, got out in front of it with this kid. Certainly Altmeyer seems to embrace some of the social media aspects of, uh, of being a quarterback, committing early. Things, a lot of time left, uh, schools can offer. But as of right now, I would buy Florida State over the field. This prospect, Altmeyer, was not even on Christian's list. I just snuck him in here because – this either is going to happen or well, I think it certainly will happen by the time y'all listen to the show. Alabama's flipping Jalen Milrow from Texas tonight. With that said, that kind of closes the door most likely on, uh, on Altmeyer going there because they were able to flip the prospect committed to Texas, Jalen Milrow. Of course, facilitating that is probably the fact that Texas got the best quarterback since Trevor Lawrence over the weekend and Quinn Ewers, who also has Easily the best recruiting mullet I've ever seen. It's like a. Have you seen that thing? It's got a great mullet, and he had A and M players going on uh, social media saying, "Hey, I'd probably sign with Texas too." So that, that's going to make Jimbo happy, definitely. Yeah, that's uh, that's he's not going to love that one. All right, let's go ahead and uh, and and switch it up here a little bit and and take uh, take one or two more of these. I'm going to go ahead and combine this one 
buy or sell Florida State signs one, or at least one, of running back Jalen White, who's out of Alabama, or Trayvon Hargrove, who is out of Louisiana. But she's been involved with both prospects. They seem to have some traction here. You can go buy or sell on, on the, their ability to get one of these two backs. On one of them, uh, I'll buy. I know, I know that Penn State's, you know, made a lot of, uh, has gotten, I don't want to say out in front with Hargrove, but has made a strong impression. This is a kid out of Ruston who has previously committed to Law Tech, for those of you who aren't immediately familiar. Uh, super impressive tape. I think he's what escalated all the way to the top. Yeah, he's nice. Top 10, top 11 back in the country, according to 247. So, uh, he's, he's gone from an unknown to a <laughs> pretty pretty well known commodity at this point. Uh, I'll buy uh, on the on the two with with Hargrove, in my opinion, being the more likely of the two. Sean Bray Jackson, defensive end, Florida kid. I know it's kind of rare we have not talked about a whole lot of Florida kids here on the show uh, today. We, we've spoken about Florida kids prior and why Florida State is is struggling in the state this year, partially by design, partially by by circumstance, uh, which has exacerbated. You know, some of the design. Uh, Chambray Jackson, you're going to go buy or sell with Chambray? Just call me Ingram uh, Ingram Homer tonight. I feel like I'm buying an awful lot of these other than some of the more obvious ones like Mims. I'm going to buy. I, I think ultimately Florida State gets this kid out of the out of Central Florida, out of Boone High School, out of Orlando. Uh, I think they've made a good impression, developed a good relationship. At this point, I am going to uh, say that the Jackson's a part of the class. I think the consistency of the communication here is one of the reasons why I'm going to buy. Florida State has stayed on him a lot. They they you know, they send him all, all their social media stuff constantly. He, he seems to retweet it, so he's reciprocating that that attention. Um, he understands how he would fit into the defense, and I, I I think priority too. Right there are some other schools that are recruiting him, and I'm not saying that uh, he's not a priority for those schools, but but I think Florida State has done a good job of imparting on Chambray Jackson, uh, just how much they need him and why they need him. And I, I think that ultimately they'll be able to get that done in the end. So go ahead and give me a buy there on uh, on Chambray Jackson. Really good question from JJ. Obviously, we could probably do an entire show uh, on on the, the length of the list that he sent us, and we appreciate that. Who you got? I'm going to throw one more name out there, bud, only because you've been a fan of him, and I think a lot of their fan base has started to pick up on the idea that, hey, this kid's Pretty damn talented. Zion Reeves out of North Carolina. As far as they ultimately get him. Oh, my guy. Uh, I'm going to sell because he, he hasn't visited, and I just don't know when visits are going to pick back up, man. If you're choosing anybody, are you are you choosing NC State at this point? I think he's visited there. So, like, NC State's mm-hmm. about to pick up on two dudes that, who are right in their backyard. They, they got the backer, uh, Jordan uh, Jordan Moore, or, or, or uh, no, sorry, Jordan Poole, rather. Over the weekend, uh, probably NC State there, but I don't think that thing is is done. I mean, Reeves certainly likes Florida State. He speaks highly of them. They like him a whole lot. I think he's really good. Uh, so I, I, I will say sell because the, uh, of really uh, of the pandemic. They, they've not been able to get to see the kid in person, and, and nor has he really been able to see them in person. Christian asked a bonus question: uh, What conference is Florida State playing as a member of twelve years from now? ACC or the field? Uh, well, 12 years from now is 2032. How long is your grant of, right, uh, grant of rights run? 15? I thought the GOR was 2033, actually, but let me just see real quickly. 
If it's 2033, then, then my answer is going to be the ACC. The ACC also extended its conference rights deal by nine years, taking it through 2035. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to get out of that GOR deal that early. So go ahead and, and give me uh, give me the ACC there to answer that one. Yeah, I probably, probably would say the same with that information with it being in the mid-30s. Okay, moving on to the next question. A good one there, Christian. Thank you. Uh, Jack asked, it may be too early to know, but any ideas on what would happen to recruiting cycle slash signing day with conferences playing in the spring related. Do you think this gives any real advantage disadvantage to Florida state since we're playing in the fall? For instance, if they push signing day back to the spring season, do you think that there's merit to the thought that more kids would be swayed to sign with the teams in the spring conferences because they've seen them play more recently or with the trend of kids signing earlier, the fall conference get the advantages because seemingly kids want to get it over with. Jack, this is a really good question, and I think you've hit on a lot of the issues that uh, that we are certainly considering. I, I will say that, look, ultimately, it's too early to know, and, and this, some of this is just, okay, a lot of this is just going to be speculation. I, I talk to coaches a lot, and they don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to kind of go through these one by one. With the conferences playing in the spring, if they don't move signing day, I think that'll be largely a negative because Kids will not have, have seen the, these, these conferences play. However, it might not be an entire negative and for this reason. If you're not coaching, you have pretty much unlimited time to recruit. And that's basically all these coaches have been doing over the last six months is just recruiting, 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 recruiting. So they'll be able to call these kids constantly. If the kids are actually playing high school football, they'll be watching their games on some kind of live stream and probably texting them live during it. And the kid, when he gets his phone, after the game, we'll, we'll be like, oh, wow, coach was watching me every single play in, in real time. And, and they're going to just be using all their free time to recruit. So it might not be quite as big of a disadvantage as you might think it would be if they don't move early signing period, particularly because I'm not convinced that we're going to get official visits to be allowed on campus uh, this fall. So your benefit of actually playing games might not extend to having kids on campus. So do you think this gives any real advantage or disadvantage to Florida State since we're playing in the fall? Uh, I think actually Florida State could have an advantage by playing in the fall uh, if they are able to show some sort of proof of concept and look decent under Coach Mike Norvell. Uh, They can also show perhaps uh, some positions and areas where it's like, hey, we have numbers here, but not really talent. So you'll have the ability to come in and play rather quickly over some of these guys. If they push signing day back, I think you just kind of reverse my, my answer to, to the first one, right? Is it an advantage if you play super early if they push signing day back? Probably not an advantage. Is it a huge disadvantage again? Most likely not, in my opinion. Even if they push signing day, day back, we still have early signing period, which I don't think anybody at this point has talked about moving. And of course, by the time we publish it, I'm sure it'll be moved because that's how things seem to work is to sign early. Even if they, even if they move back the traditional signing period, uh, they're, they're still going to pressure these guys to sign early. I think Florida State actually, not due to when FSU plays, but due to when the state of Florida plays and some of the surrounding states play. For instance, Georgia seems to be soldiering on with their season uh, of, of playing high school ball up there, you guys. If the majority of the states in which you recruit are playing high school football and they don't move signing day, that's kind of an advantage because you have less guesswork 
that you have to to execute compared to other schools who are going to be forced to take, for instance, let, let me use California, for example. California is not playing high school football until the spring. There might be a kid out there, if I'm UCLA, who I like, but I don't like enough to actually sign him early because I want to see him play more. Uh, I want to be able to see him in person, maybe check him out. However, Fresno State likes him enough that they're willing to gamble and sign him early, right? And say, okay, like we think this kid is good enough for us. For Florida State, you're not going to have that situation nearly as much this year, most likely, assuming these high school seasons uh, get off get off the ground and, and, and don't get shut down. So potentially a benefit for Florida State to be not having an early signing period moved despite the fact that they would have never had a chance to get out and meet these kids in person because I don't think we're going to have visits uh, simply because they're able to do a little bit less, a little bit less guesswork in their evaluation. I hope that answers the question. There's just so many, there's, there's a lot of questions with, within this. There's a lot of questions and I'll unfortunately throw more at you. Do you think the idea uh, of like, Oh, well, it means more in these conferences they're going to play. Do you think that plays out on the recruiting trail? Do you think, Recruits are swayed by that. Uh, I know you're you're speculating, but how do you think that if we hold where we are, where where the Big Ten and, and Pac-12 don't play, and the three that are set to play do, how does that impact uh, kids both in this class and and maybe you know two two or three ones? Great question. I think that that is something that schools are going to use if they pull off the season in a relatively safe manner. If they end up having kind of a you know, blank show here and <laughs> the season does not go very smoothly, then I think it's actually a negative. And if I'm a Big Ten school, I'm going to negatively recruit the heck out of ACC and SEC schools and say, look, we love playing football, but we had the common sense to know that, that it wasn't a smart choice to do it. Right. And that's why we waited till spring because we could guarantee the safety of your kid. It's going to blow up in somebody's face. Either the Big Ten, Pac-12s, because the the you know the other schools are able to safely pull this thing off, or the schools that are trying and potentially failing if if it indeed doesn't work out. Does that make sense? I guess uh, Michael wants to know any potential candidates in your mind to replace the Sanford game. So do we do we mention this already on on the show? The Sanford game is off because Sanford decided that they uh, they're they're not going to play. I think it happened right after we released the most recent one. Um, I've certainly have heard the the USF name uh, that I think others have as well. I don't know, man. I I don't uh, see what you gain from scheduling USF. I, I don't think much good comes out of that. I don't think it makes any kind of you know TV money. Uh, I've been conf- kind of confused that as many ACC schools have scheduled Liberty as they have, not because of. COVID testing or anything else, but simply because I, I Liberty can beat you. doesn't mean they will, but they can. Very curious as to what Florida State does with that game. And if it's USF, that would be great in theory, but I'm, I'm not sure why they would have gone in that direction. Yeah, I, I think USF could be an interesting one. Uh, I, I don't think that Florida State should schedule Liberty for a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the hire they made there at AD is continually perplexing after what happened. Uh, with with the Baylor thing, I don't really have any candidates, man. I, let me ask you this: Buy or sell? Florida State does schedule a non conference game. I mean, it's certainly their intent; it's their want. I mean, they they want to put another one on the schedule, so uh, I would buy the idea. I, w- I would personally hope that it ends up in a situation where 
it doesn't happen. Um, my one is to sell. My belief is that ultimately they're going to schedule somebody. Uh, so let's go ahead and go to Austin. Uh, do you know if the football players are being insulated from the rest of the student body? I know Coach O, uh, the LSU coach, Coach Orgeron, Coach o, uh, said the SEC pushed back their start uh, to the end of September in anticipation of a spike in cases when the student population came back on campus. But if the players are for the most part isolated, does that give them or give us the best chance for games? I know that's a tough ask for 18 to 20 year old kids. Thanks. And thank, thank you, Austin, for the question. Yeah. I mean, we talked about, I've, I've talked about what Clemson did uh, many times uh, in the both the previous show and, and shows that we've done over the past six weeks or so. And the LSU has done something similar. Um, and it sounds like most of the SEC is doing that as well. I mean, are the players being insulated? You can encourage kids to stay in their rooms. You can encourage kids to use discretion. They're also, 19-year-old kids with all the hormones in the world running through their body, it's a hard thing to do. And, and you're not going to be able to uh, to lock somebody in a building or something like that. And as we've discussed, the NCAA makes it uh, illegal for you to house the, you know, the whole team in one building. And short answer is no, uh, they're not being isolated, nor is there any real plan to which that would happen. I mean, you can come up with ideas, but you're not, you know, you're not going to have uh, – Ron Dugan sitting out the hall all night, making sure kids don't, you know, enter out and sneak out or whatever else. It's just, uh, it is the way that it is. And no, they're not being isolated. You nailed it. Uh, I will say this. If we go online only and uh, maybe what they should do is be extra creative and figure out which kids like don't want to be in the dorms and then just list those kids as the dudes who are also living in the quote unquote you know, mixed population, so athletes and non-athletes, athletic dorm. Then you basically have created your own sort of pseudo-bubble, at least within the living conditions. Now, you cannot control where your kids go out because they're going to go to parties. They're going to go, hopefully not to bars, because that's, if they really want to play football, you you can't be going out to bars for the most part. Unless it's like an outdoor bar. I guess you could do that for sure. But, like, ultimately... Ingram's right that they can isolate them more than they can like the regular student population, but it's not, it's not like bubble effectiveness for sure. There's just, there are too many other things going on on campus. Do you see, uh, do you see where the the basketball tournaments talk or talk has started talking about trying to, or if they have to creating a bubble type scenario? I mean, that's, I did. I don't see how you could do that with 64 teams. I mean, I, I think you'd have to adjust the, the field, to be honest. But that's, uh, that's a good – you're going to need some proactive – like I said previously, if, if, if athletic departments don't get a damn basketball tournament check this year, uh, oh, boy, that's going to be all kinds of problems. So glad to at least see that they're open to, uh, to opening up the full table as to what they'll do to try to get that in. Uh, Derek asked, to my knowledge, the NCAA doesn't require teams to submit an injury report before a game. Having said that, do you anticipate teams having to submit positive test results prior to game day? If so, how many hours prior to kickoff would this information need to be submitted? I think that they, that they actually do have to report their, their testing results under the ACC guidelines, right? For, for the, week, the week of the game. I'm pretty sure that they do. I don't know if they have to release them publicly but I, I think they have to inform the other team of, of what's going on and, and the league office. They should release them publicly, I, I think. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not. 
I'm not counting on on that happening. Uh, how many hours prior to kickoff would this information need to be submitted? It depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to inform the other team so they can game plan around who you have out, then obviously a, a decent number of hours before the thing. If the goal is just safety and keeping the other team uh, apprised and, and the conference apprised, then if you get your test results back Saturday morning, you could tell them Saturday morning. I, my guess is that Thursday or Friday, though, is, is when they're really going to learn, though. Final question that comes from Santosh, and Santosh says, no question. We just wanted to congratulate Bud and Ingram on kind of predicting the universities will run a bait and switch by getting the fees and dorm money up front and then move to virtual classes as evidenced by UNC. Yeah, yeah, like uh, like we said in the past podcast, not going to be the only school that does that. What did they have? They had four different hotspots break out within a week, and then they had the, uh, the old Sigma New House and a couple other places. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> good luck to everybody. It's going to be a hell of a challenge, and uh, I, I want to both give the university some kind of benefit of the doubt here and also say that a lot of these places are wildly dependent upon student fees uh, for running their athletic department in general, but just kind of keeping, keeping everything in the black. And it's easy to be skeptical as to why everybody would be eager to get everybody back on campus and then move from there. No doubt, man. I think a lot of the, a lot of these, these schools are banking on the fact that like people are not going to seek refunds for the dorms. Once their kids are already up there, they're, they're going to be allowed to stay. They've already moved them up. Is it's you know it's part of an experience that they don't want to their their college experience is already going to be weird. They don't want to further neuter it by making them come home. Although I'm sure some people will. Some of these schools, especially state schools, will refund some of the dorm and student fee stuff, but they don't have to necessarily refund all of it. And so getting them on campus is uh, is a really key part of that equation if, if you're trying to get some money in the coffers there, dude. I think that's uh, I think it's all the questions we have. For tonight, uh, anything more interesting pop up tonight? Oh, yeah. Uh, a class of 2022 uh, quarterback, Braden Davis, actually transferred uh, pretty close to my house. So now he'll be living in uh, in Claremont. So I'll go see him if and when uh, travel is ever allowed again for, uh, for, for us here. But, uh, oh, also, did you see the uh, NCAA is not going to uh, be requiring SAT, ACT for the class of 2021? I did not see that. No. Uh, it doesn't come as a surprise to me, but no, I had not seen that. That's uh, that's encouraging. Cer- certainly helps a school like FSU that is pretty routinely uh, signing guys who are kind of, you know, kind of borderline. All right, y'all. We will uh, wrap it up here. Thank you, as always, for all the support that we've received. Uh, thank you to our sponsors and particularly our Patreon members who have made this podcast possible. If you have an interest in joining us there, it's patreon.com backslash Nolcast. But enjoyed it. Uh, this has been a, a fun little uh, thing to be able to get get together, talk some talk some ball. Um, the COVID discussion has been minimized and we'll continue to uh, to talk throughout the summer, getting ideas to what this season will look like and uh, just look forward and thank you to everybody that makes the Nolcast possible. Enjoy the guest. We'll talk to you next time. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Noles. Go Noles.